a travel bag that the investigators had overlooked, lying behind a wardrobe. Inside were letters that Anna Ander had begun to write, and they were addressed to her daughter in a town called Istad in faraway Sweden. Françoise Bertrand apologised for reading these private letters. She had asked for help from an alcoholic Swedish artist she knew in the capital, and he had translated the letters for her. Françoise wrote down the translations as he read them to her, and a picture gradually began to take shape. Even then she already had pangs of conscience about what had happened to this fifth woman, not only about the fact that she was brutally murdered in the country that Françoise loved so much. In the letter she tried to explain what was happening in her country, and she also told something about herself. Her father was born in France but came to North Africa with his parents as a child. There he grew up and later married a local woman. Françoise, the oldest of their children, had always had the feeling of having one foot in France and the other in Africa. But now she no longer had any doubt. She was an African. And that was why she was tormented by the strife tearing her country apart. That was also why she didn't want to contribute to the wrongs against herself and her country by erasing this woman, by refusing even to take the responsibility for Anna Ander's presence. Françoise Bertrand had begun to suffer from insomnia. Finally, she decided to write to the dead woman's daughter and tell her the truth. She forced herself to act in spite of the loyalty she felt to the police force, but she asked that her name be kept secret. I'm telling you the truth, she wrote at the end of her long letter. Maybe I'm making a mistake by telling you what happened, but how could I do otherwise? I found a bag containing letters that a woman wrote to her daughter. Now I'm telling you how they came into my possession and forwarding them to you. Françoise Bertrand had enclosed the unfinished letters and Anna Anders' passport. Her daughter didn't read the letters. She put them on the floor of the balcony and wept for a long time. Not until dawn did she get up. She went inside and sat motionless at the kitchen table, her head completely empty. But then suddenly everything seemed simple to her. She realized that she had done nothing but wait all these years. She hadn't understood that before, the fact that she had been waiting, or why. Now she knew. She had a mission, and she didn't need to wait any longer to carry it out. It was time. Her mother was gone. A door had been thrown wide open. She stood up and went to get her box with the slips of paper she had cut up, and the big ledger she kept in a drawer under her bed. She spread the folded slips of paper on the table in front of her. She knew there were forty-three of them. She started unfolding the slips, one by one. The cross was on the twenty-seventh one. She opened the ledger and ran her finger down the column of names until she reached the right row. She stared at the name she had written there, and slowly a face materialized before her. Then she closed the book and put the slips of paper back in the box. Her mother was dead. She no longer had any doubt, and now there was no turning back. She would give herself a year to work through her grief and to make all her preparations. She went back out onto the balcony, smoked a cigarette and gazed out over the waking city. A rainstorm was moving in from the sea. Just after 7 a.m. she went to bed. It was the morning of the 20th of August, 1993. 
Skorna, the 21st of September to the 11th of October, 1994. Chapter 1 Just after 10pm he finally finished. The last stanzas had been difficult to write. They took him a long time. He had wanted to achieve a melancholy yet beautiful expression. Several attempts were consigned to the waste paper basket. Twice he'd been close to giving up altogether, but now the poem lay before him on the table. His lament for the middle-spotted woodpecker, which had almost disappeared from Sweden. It hadn't been seen in the country since the early 1980s, one more species soon to be wiped out by humankind. He got up from his desk and stretched. With every passing year it was harder and harder to sit bent over his writings for hours on end. An old man shouldn't be writing poems, he thought. When you're seventy-eight years old, your thoughts are of little use to anyone. But at the same time he knew this was wrong.